Good morning. Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that. Good morning. I ought, I ought to look at a few folks over here. I don't know. What, what is the, uh, the last couple of weeks? It's like everybody's gravitated to this side. And so I, I end up ignoring you all during the sermon sometimes because most of the folks are over there. I feel bad about that. Um, it is great to be uh, together in worship this morning, whether we are gathered in this space or whether we're gathered around our uh, kitchen tables or our living room. Um, and I just remind us as we gather here in this space today, um, let us uh, begin to take this time to focus on God and to focus on God's presence among us. Let us come together in anticipation this morning of experiencing Christ's presence afresh and anew so that the Spirit might speak to us and continue to shape us and transform us so that we might be the people of God, not just in this moment, but in every moment. And so I'm going to invite you all who are here to stand. And uh, those of you at home, um, hopefully you have um, gotten into the habit of having a candle or something close by. And as um, we light the candles here, I'm inviting you at home to light a candle so that we might be reminded that Christ is among us and with us as we gather on this day. Let us um, celebrate Christ's presence in our midst. They can all come to because they can't stay alone. 
a new horizon and I'm set on you and you meet me here today with mercies that are new all my fears and doubts they can all come to because they can't stay long when I believe you are the way the truth the Thank you. Uh, you all be seated, and I'm just going to invite um, um, all of us to be in um, an attitude of prayer as we gather at this time in this space. Uh, I want to um, especially ask you to lift up um, Ann Clark this morning. She has been under the weather the last couple of days, and so she thought it was best for her not to uh, come and play this day, but we want to uh, lift her up in our prayers, and we want to lift up the other members of our band who have not been with us for various reasons, and just to keep them in our prayers. Um, I just also want to invite us to um, to keep our community and our uh, nation and the world in our prayers on this day. Um, and in fact, as I, was, as I was thinking about our prayer time this day, um, I'm going to actually um, um, read from Acts chapter 4 uh, in verses, I think it's 23, the prayer that the apostles actually pray after Peter and John are released from prison. Uh, because as I read that, I thought, you know, this is an appropriate prayer for us this day. Um, it speaks about um, the, the raging chaos that is surrounding the disciples. And um, it emphasizes that in this world of a raging chaos, um, that Jesus came and was still rejected. And that's still our problem today, isn't it? In this world, too many of us, too m many folks reject Jesus and his way. And we wonder why the world rages and is in such turmoil and chaos. And so I'm going to read from that um, a little bit later. But what I want to invite us to do right now is simply to take a moment um, in silent prayer. So often in our lives, we are filled with, with noise and commotion. Even when we're at home alone, often we need to have music or the TV or something going. And I'm just going to invite us um, to take a moment in silence uh, to lift up to God those things that are on your heart this day, uh, to simply um, focus on God's presence among us and to share with him what your heart's desire is. And so I invite us all to bow our hearts
before God in this moment. Gracious God, hear our prayer this day. And now may these words from the book of Acts be a prayer that we lift up together before we offer the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Master, you are the one who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You are the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor, David. Why, and in Psalms as he prayed, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do people plot in vain? Why do kings of the earth take their stand? And why do rulers gather together as one against the Lord and against Christ? Indeed. Isn't that what happened in our day? Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the Israelites, did they not gather in this city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed? They did what they did this, already determined in their hearts. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence. Stretch out your hand to bring the power of healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed in the name of Jesus, your holy servant. Indeed, Lord Jesus, may the power of the Holy Spirit come, enabling us to offer hope and healing and wholeness in the midst of the world today, a world that is broken raging against itself and against you, unable to join in harmony with you and each other. May you enable your people to be your hands and your feet to point the way to peace and to harmony and to joy and to goodness. And now we join our voices together in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. ourselves up to you this morning 
move in the mysterious holy ways that only you can move, that we may indeed build our lives upon you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Holy God, we open ourselves up to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kobe. Well, we continue um, this day looking at the book of Acts and um, really listening to how it speaks to us in our time. I like to remind us as we think about the book of Acts to, to be reminded that these first followers of Jesus didn't after Jesus' resurrection go off and create their own religion or their own denomination. Uh, but I like for us to remember if we're going to understand this book of Acts and what's going on, we need to be reminded that these first disciples were Jewish people. They were working within their Jewish faith because they understood Jesus to be the Messiah and the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise of a Messiah. And so what they were doing in their time was that they uh, were um, hoping to convince other Jewish people that Jesus indeed was the Messiah that they had awaited for. But in order to do that, uh, they had to get people to begin to think about things differently than the way they had always thought about what the Messiah might be. And so in reality, in the midst of Acts, we see a, a world, at least the Jewish world, which was disrupted and disoriented as this group of folks sought to uh, tell them there was another way to understand what it meant to be the people of God. Uh, that indeed the, the one who was the Messiah, the one who was the way, had already come. And so uh, they are seeking to proclaim and demonstrate um, that indeed the kingdom of God has come near, just as Jesus had said, um, that God's kingdom was breaking into their world, calling folks to reorient and to turn back to God and to his ways. 
and telling them that this was the time in which the Spirit had been poured out upon the people of God so that they might be the people of God. And we've uh, spent um, a few weeks here looking at the first four chapters of Acts, and today we're going to uh, read again from chapter 4 and then pick up in chapter 5 as we hear this story, which um, I think we're all familiar with, but it's often a story that we just like to jump over. Uh, because we're not sure what to do with this. But I want to begin reading first in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. And I would argue that from verse 32, really all the way to uh, chapter 6, that these uh, passages kind of fall together. But um, hear these words from um, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine about any of their possessions, but they held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them. They would bring the proceeds from the sales, And they would place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. And then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. I just want to pause there and let those words sink in. Um, Oftentimes we read these summaries in Acts and we hurry past them. But this gives us a picture of what the early uh, community of Jesus followers looked like. It tells us that they were a community that, that had this unity, this oneness of mind and heart. And that all surfaced around sharing and giving witness to the resurrection of Jesus and to the life that he offered. Uh, but it also emphasizes here how they handled their possessions, doesn't it? Um, I I don't know how we read this passage, and we do not hear um, emphasized over and over uh, that the early followers in some ways uh, shared um, what they had with one another. They shared what they had, and we are told that those with uh, property, some of them would sell their possessions, they would give it to the apostles, and it was distributed to people as they needed. Now, it's important for us to hear this because what follows is a couple of examples. If we are, um, if we're paying attention, what follows after this is a couple of examples. A positive example And then the negative example that we would all prefer to skip over. Um, But here these words then, continuing in verse 36. Here's the the positive example that um, Luke offers in this passage. Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that is, one who encourages, was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field, sold it, brought the money, and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Just what we heard that the community was doing as a whole, and now we see this example of an individual who is doing exactly um, what the summary statement says the early church was doing. So, all is wonderful, right? Then we get to chapter 
5. And um, I think we ought to just skip verses 1 through 11 here and just move on. What do you all think? Well, maybe not. It's good for us also to hear these negative examples. And, and so um, while we have uh, this wonderful example of uh, Barnabas, who we're going to hear about later, we have this other example. And beginning in verse 5, it says, However, a man named Ananias, along with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge... They withheld some of the proceeds from the sale, and they brought the rest of it, and they placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. And Peter, who speaks, I guess, for the rest of the disciples, he he asks, and he says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has influenced you to lie to the Holy Spirit by withholding some of the proceeds from the sale of the land. Wasn't that property yours to keep? After you sold it, wasn't the money yours to do whatever you wanted to? What made you think of such a thing? You haven't lied to other people, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he dropped dead. Everyone who heard this conversation was terrified. And we get it because we're terrified just to hear this story. What do we do with this? It, tells, it goes on to say, some young men stood up, they wrapped his body, they carried him out, and they buried him. And about three hours later, along comes his wife. Um, but she didn't know what had happened to her husband. And so Peter asked her, he says, tell me. Did you and your husband receive this price for the field? I guess this was her opportunity to come clean. But she responds, yes, that's the amount. And he replied, how could you scheme with each other to challenge the Lord's spirit? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out too. And at that very moment... She dropped dead at his feet. And when the young men entered and found her dead, they carried her out and they buried her also. Trepidation and dread seized the whole church and all who heard what had happened. We'll look at the rest of this in a minute, but we're just going to stop right here at this passage. And and, um, Dustin, can you turn me down just a little bit? I think it's a little bit loud in here. So if you could do that a little bit. Um, What do we do with this passage of Scripture? What in the world do we do with this? I mean, we're good if we stop with Barnabas bringing gifts and laying them at the feet. And and we would probably even be good if Ananias and Sapphira uh, brought their stuff and and laid it, brought their their proceeds and laid it at the feet of the disciples. And then where they were challenged, um, maybe they um, were disciplined, but they fall dead. I mean, this is a shocking story, and I think it's purposefully placed here to be shocking. We would prefer to pass over this and not really grapple with this passage, but I think we need to pause and do so. 
Uh, now, this whole passage, there's no doubt this whole passage um, does deal with how we think about and how we relate to our possessions. And I've heard uh, many of the sermons on this passage, which um, always uh, challenge us to hold our possessions a little bit more loosely and to share with the church. And, and I think certainly um, that is a, a valid understanding of this scripture. I've also heard this scripture uh, taught in a way that emphasizes God's judgment. But I want to suggest that maybe there's another way to hear this passage that gets at the underlying issue. And that's to hear this passage um, as talking about community, of talking about the importance of community. And I suspect that this is actually a harder um, lesson and message for us to hear than even a message about um, how we grasp a hold of our possessions. For you see, um, we live in a society that emphasizes individualism above everything else. We emphasize the rights and the freedoms of individuals. And in fact, we have so often read Scripture in an individualistic way. Even when we talk about uh, salvation, um, even when we talk about conversion, we often make it a personal experience with God or with Jesus and leave it at that alone. In doing so, we miss the communal emphasis of Scripture. We miss this um, communal, this community aspect of Scripture that goes uh, from the front cover to the back cover. For you see, all of Scripture reveals and continues to point out that God wanted to be in community with people not just individuals, that God invites people to be in community with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and one another. Look at the creation story. When God creates Adam and Eve, he tells them to multiply. He tells them to create a community and to live in union with God and to have dominion over all of the world and all of creation. Uh, at the very beginning, God is not just creating individual people, but God is seeking to create community, people who live in harmony with God and with one another. Look at the story of Abraham. When God calls Abraham, he doesn't just call Abraham to be one person who lives according to God's ways. But he tells Abraham that you, your descendants, will become the people of God. That your descendants will be the people of God. They will be a community of people who are blessed so that other people might be blessed. We see this, this calling and this forming of community. 
Throughout Scripture, we see God over and over again calling people into a new community, calling people to new loyalties and to new ways of being in the world. And in Acts, we see this ongoing call to community if we're paying attention. We see that Jesus did this with his disciples, and we see its continuation in the, in the book of Acts. We see God calling and creating this new people, empowering them by the Holy Spirit, calling them to live um, according to new categories, calling them to new allegiances and to a new way of life, a way that embodies God and God's ways. And in fact, if we pay attention in the book of Acts, um, when we see um, these conversions, when we see people converted, when we see uh, uh, people switching their allegiance, it's not just about individual acts, but it is about people who have this experience with the Spirit, and they become a part of a new community. They become a part of this community, which in Acts chapter 2, it tells us they become a part of a, a community that devotes itself to the teaching of the apostles, to the community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And sometimes I think in our society, we miss just how radical this change was. You see, in the first century, people were defined by their family. They were defined by who the patriarch or the matriarch was. They were defined by family, and that's where their allegiance was. And what we see over and over in uh, the New Testament is we see this call. We see this call that says your primary allegiance is no longer to your ancestors but it is to Jesus. Your primary and, and highest most allegiance is to be toward Jesus. And it is to be a part of a community in, in which you continue to grow in your knowledge and your experience of God in which uh, people continue uh, to grow in their witness to the world of what God has done. And so if we begin to see this passage uh, about the importance of community, maybe we begin to look at Ananias and Sapphira's story in a different way. It wasn't just that they held back a portion of, of what uh, they had sold, but it is that they were pretending. It, it was um, that they were a double-minded people. They had broken the trust of the community. In other words, they had said in essence by their behaviors that they're not sure they could trust this community of followers enough to give everything that they had sold. They had better hold some back for themselves just in case this community of Jesus' followers wasn't enough to sustain them. Just in case they needed to return to their old way of living. 
instead of living in this new way. You see, they weren't just cheating the community out of resources, but they were expressing their inability or their unwillingness to place their trust in this community and to place their trust in Jesus with a wholehearted being. And so maybe... You know, I find it interesting in the passage. It doesn't say uh, that Peter said, so drop dead. It doesn't even say that God caused them to. It says both of them just dropped dead on the spot. I just can't help but wonder if what happened in both of them is that this struggle in their hearts, this divided heart in which they couldn't quite decide whether they wanted to follow Jesus or whether they wanted to hold on to their old ways. I wonder if they couldn't resolve that and it's simply burst their heart and they fell dead there because you see over and over again we see that divided hearts and inability to give a full allegiance to God in do, does indeed hinder community of faith and it does indeed hinder our ability to tap into the life that God offers. And it says fear and trepidation filled the community of faith. I'm sure it did. Because you see, I I think part of, of this message is also highlighting the fact that committing ourselves to follow Jesus It's a dangerous thing. And and he goes on in chapter 5. I find this interesting in chapter 5 in verse 12. After they carry Sapphira out, um, Luke just goes on and says, Oh, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. They would come together regularly at Solomon's porch. That's a place in the temple. I suspect that's where they were gathering with um, Ananias and Sapphira, but I don't know that. And then, and then verse 13 says, No one from outside the church dared to join them, even though the people spoke highly of them. And yet then in 14 it says, But indeed more and more believers in the Lord, large numbers of both men and women, were added to the church. These two things seem to conflict, don't they? On one hand, it says they wouldn't stand with him. And on the other hand, it says they were, uh, people were added to the church. I can't help but wonder uh, what is being depicted here is that people were not, um, they weren't flippant in joining the church. They, maybe they didn't want to be too close to them when they were at Solomon's porch because um, they were worried about uh, the persecution that came from outside the church. But maybe they were also afraid that if they made this commitment only half-heartedly, that the same thing that happened to Ananias and Sapphira might happen to them. And yet we're told for those who were able to get past that, Large numbers of people were added to the church daily. So despite that danger, there were people who were being added to this community of faith. There were people who continued to dedicate themselves to Jesus and to this 
community of Jesus followers so that um, the grace and the love of Jesus could be communicated and demonstrated and proclaimed throughout the world. But it was important for them to be in unison and of one heart in order to be most effective, especially early on in this movement. Now, we're going to read later in the letters of Paul where we had other issues. There were other issues in the community of faith, and people didn't drop dead. I can't explain to you why Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead and other people didn't. But I think the point of this story... The point of this story is to highlight the importance of community and commitment to this new allegiance and this new way of life. I couldn't help as I I read this passage this week and I began, so, so what do we do with this passage today? I mean, how do we apply this to the church today? Does this mean that we should all go live in some kind of socialist community where we sell everything and put it? Probably not. But I need to struggle with that in this individualistic and capitalistic uh, um, culture in which I have lived and and been brought up. Uh, Maybe I need to hear that passage and have it challenge me about what it means to be a community of God today. But one thing I do think is I think about this passage, um, most churches that I know of today, um, especially in, um, in the Western society, we really don't understand community. We talk about the church as being a family and we talk in terms like that, Uh, but um, in reality, I find that most churches are just a gathering of a bunch of individuals who call themselves Christians. That church is this space where people who call themselves Christians or people who are Christians, people who have experienced God, um, gather together not to form community so much as to kind of be loosely connected in a network. We gather together to to hear the word, um, to take it under advisement, and then to go do our own thing. So often in the local church today, when we um, say our vows of membership, when we pledge to... um, to support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. So often those are said so loosely and glibly without any real commitment. And so often today, I think, when we gather in churches, when we, um, when we begin to follow Jesus, we don't really intend to give up our old allegiances and our old ways. If we're honest with ourselves, we're much like Ananias and Sapphira in that we want to hedge our bets, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, we are just 
as fearful about wholeheartedly committing to Jesus and his ways as Ananias and Sapphira were. We want a a, a little bit of Jesus to affirm who we are and what we do, but we don't want enough of Jesus to challenge who we are or to challenge those things in our lives that still need to be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. We just want enough of Jesus so we've got some certainty that when we die, we go to heaven, but not enough of Jesus that our allegiance and our way of life is truly transformed. And so we are double-minded and we grasp to our old ways way, way too much. As I grapple with this passage, I can't help but wonder, what would it look like if local congregations and churches today were committed to being communities of Jesus' followers, at least along the lines of the early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts? Because if we're honest with ourselves, our first allegiance is really seldom to God. Our first allegiance is to something else. Some other group shapes us and forms us more than a community of faith does. If we're honest with ourselves, often today when we gather in a local community of faith, we are really looking for a community that will affirm what we believe. We're looking for a community that says, we don't have to change, you've got it right, and and what you believe is the correct thing. And when we're in a community of faith that challenges our beliefs... We often start looking for another community of faith that will agree with us rather than allowing the Word of God to challenge us and to change us and to transform us. The most dangerous churches that exist are the churches that are filled with people who think they have arrived and everybody else just needs to get on board with them. Because you see, all of us, every body of Christ, continues to need the Holy Spirit to work within us, to shape us, and to form us, to continue to transform our allegiance so that we are truly, truly aligned with God first and foremost. Much of our problem in the Western world is we have bodies of Christ, bodies of Christ which continue to divide us as we proclaim we have the right answers and everyone else is wrong. I wish I had more answers than questions. What should the body of Christ look like today? What should 
the, the church of Jesus Christ look like today? Certainly, it should be more than a bunch of individuals gathering once a week on Sunday to hear the Word of God and then going out and doing their own thing, or maybe getting together occasionally to do a good deed. Surely, it should be more than that. I can't help but wonder what would happen if instead of being individuals who gathered together, if we truly sought to create community. If we truly sought to create this body of people that more than anything else want to know God more and more, and in doing so know each other more and more. I wonder what might happen if as a body of believers, we were committed to uh, growing in our experience and knowledge of God's grace. So that we allowed that grace to continue to shape us and form us as individuals and as a community. I wonder what might happen if we gathered as a community and we um, were intent on praying for God to help us discover our gifts and our giftedness both as individuals and as a community. I wonder what would happen if communities of God's people gathered together and they offered up that prayer uh, from um, Acts chapter 4 uh, that the early disciples gathered up and, and just simply prayed to God, acknowledging the raging of the world, understanding uh, that they, in their connection with Jesus, had that which could bring healing and hope and wholeness, not to themselves, but to the whole world, and would pray that God would give his people a confidence and a boldness to step forward and to share and to demonstrate the ways of Jesus. I wonder what would happen if we truly gathered together as a community, and said more than anything else, we want to become people who live and love like Jesus. And we are not going to be happy and satisfied until we see that we are making progress toward that. Whatever the church is, Acts and Scripture seem to clearly show that the church is intended to be a community that enables us to know God, to grow in God, and be changed and transformed and discover how God calls us together as a people to demonstrate His love and His grace in this world. And when that happens... Not only will our lives be changed, not only will we be a different kind of community, the world will be changed also. May it be so in our midst this day and in the midst 
of churches across the world as we seek the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit this day and every day. Amen. And now I invite you as, um, as we sing our last song, I invite you all um, to um, just reflect. Reflect on what God is calling you to do and who is God is calling you to be and how God might be calling you to help us form um, authentic authentic communities of Jesus followers. And I invite you at this time also uh, to, um, to share of your offerings and your tithes, whether it's here and drop them in the offering plate or whether you're at home. You are invited to share and to participate. You don't have to go sell everything and bring the proceeds to my feet to be distributed. But I trust that you'll have a conversation with God and that you hold your hands open and that you ask God, what is it he wants you to share with this community of faith so that we might be a faithful witnesses to God's goodness in our world? Take my hands and let them
may we allow, may we continue to read in the book of Acts and allow the book of Acts to challenge us and to shape us, to call us forth so that we might truly be the people of God here and now. And so I invite you as you go forth from um, worship this day, that you would go in the power of the Holy Spirit, always seeking to allow the Spirit to shape us and to form us and to draw us together as a community so that we might discover how God has gifted us and where God sends us to demonstrate His love and His grace and to boldly invite others to join us. Go in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, to be the people of God. Amen. Life be filled with joy.